0: Past the Psalms, find the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, as we do a special Resurrection Day message, taking a break from the teaching in Philippians, verse by verse. And uh, in 2019, I stood at this pulpit and uh, I preached a message from John 20 called Believe. A book had just come out by Lee Strobel called The Case for Miracles. And in that message, I shared several modern-day miracle accounts of things that had occurred to bolster our faith. That broadcast, uh, and I call it a broadcast because it's now airing on Walk in Truth Radio, which you all largely support the radio ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship on KKLA twice a day, 4 a.m. and 10.30 p.m. And that message has gone out from 2019, which included an incredible miracle account of Pastor Dwayne Miller. Some of you will remember pastor Miller uh, had a flu. That flu went into his vocal cords and destroyed his vocal cords. He had a whole group of doctors. analyze him as a case study. He had the condition for, I think it was like three years. His voice was basically down to a squealy, croaky sound, and doctors gave him no hope of recovery. His church invited him. They loved him so much. They invited him with a special mic to lean into it and croak out a Bible study, and uh, he did just that. And he was teaching on a psalm that included some hope of healing in the text. And during the Bible study, his voice was completely healed. And it's on tape. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message. I shared a uh, miracle story from Helen Rosevere, a missionary. Uh, they had need of a basically a hot water bottle. Uh, it would be very rare to ever consider getting something like this. So a little girl prayed for the hot water bottle, and just to add another layer, prayed for a dolly for the little girl. Her Sunday school class, five months before the prayer request went up to heaven, packed a box, including a hot water bottle and a dolly, and the Lord moved in a miraculous way, undeniably a modern-day miracle, and I shared a few others with you, and I'm I'm sharing this with you to let you know to go back and listen to that broadcast because it will bolster your faith, but also to tell you a new book is out, and it's just as timely and just as powerful. And it's come out by JP Moreland and it's called A Simple Guide to Experiencing Miracles. Moreland is considered one of the country's top fifty philosophers, whether Christian or secular and he's done a lot of uh, first-rate investigation into miracle accounts, some of which I will share with you this morning, and I'm going to weave them into a text that is a beautiful text, Isaiah 25, and actually does deal with the resurrection, and mom, could you hand me those eyeglasses right there, because my eyesight has not been healed yet, (laughs) one day, (laughs) would you all stand, and let's read a section of this text together. Isaiah 25, we're going to pick it up in verse 6. Here's what it says. The Lord of hosts, Isaiah 25, 6, will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, God will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this Resurrection Sunday morning. We're here because of you. We're here to worship you. We're here to hear from you. We want to hear what your spirit would say to your people in this very hour. Would you bless both the teaching and the hearing of your word, Lord? Soften our hearts to what you would say to us. Would you move among us and glorify yourself and do mighty things through Uh, what is going to happen in these next several minutes. We are here because we really want to hear from you, and we want to know that hope firsthand. Pray for every heart that you would bless those who have come, bless those who are watching via live stream, who are part of our family. We love you. We lay this time at your feet. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Last night, we had the privilege of going to a Jewish Seder put on by Beit Shalom, a uh, Jewish Messianic congregation here in Corona. They are believers in Jesus as Messiah. They rented the Double Tree Hotel in Ontario and uh, had about 300 people there. And uh, I know the rabbi personally met him through one of our congregants. And so we sat at the head table. And it was, my, it was me, my wife, uh, Alex and EJ, and John the Beloved that many of you know. And so they put on a Passover that took four hours. So uh, don't do any whining about the length of our church service. It was, a, it was four hours. But I'll tell you, it was beautiful. And one of the first things they did is they lit a Sabbath candle, a Shabbat candle, kind of has three wicks on it, and it, it had a big flame on it. And they're kind of honoring the ending of the Sabbath day and looking forward to the, the next week's Sabbath. And so as they did this, uh, the people gathered around and somebody held up the candle and they were singing songs. And it was something like this, la, 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 la. 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 And I was thinking, man, we got to loosen up. I was loosening up my tie a little bit. I was like, yeah, this is like an Italian wedding, something going on here. And so they had a, a beautiful reading of the Passover uh, story and there was a dinner involved, a wonderful dinner, and it was just a great time. So at some point during the the evening, one of the deacons of the congregation got up, his name is Jose, and he did an offering time. And the the service was in a bit of transition and the microphone wasn't quite uh, as loud as it could have been, but he said, I'm not joking, there's a soul over here that's been lost. And what he meant was the soul of someone's shoe had come loose they found it on the floor and put it over for someone to go and recover it because obviously I think you would notice that right and so Alex whispers to me and Alice has uh, Alex has quick wit and he said well I guess it's not too bad that there's only one lost soul in a room of this many people (laughs) and I said yeah that's that's kind of funny and So I'm walking down, and John the Beloved was seated at the end of this long table. We were up on a platform, and I walked by John the Beloved, and I tapped his shoulder, and he lifted his shoe, and there was the soul separated from his shoe. John the Beloved was the lost soul in the room, and he whispered back, and he has a great sense of humor, and he said, Pastor Michael, I felt my soul departing. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. So at the end, they gave me a chance to speak to this wonderful Jewish congregation, and I encouraged them with the text we just read, and it said, you know, a day's coming when the Lord's going to wipe away our tears, and we're going to celebrate, and oh, by the way, and I told them the story about the lost soul, and I said, wouldn't you know it, here we are, a a small group of Gentiles come to your gathering, and the one lost soul in the room is the one that we brought, (laughs) and they laughed. They got a kick out of it, but anyway, I don't know if you're a lost soul today. (laughs) Check your shoes. But uh, we're here to encourage you in your faith. And wherever you may be, you look at a title, Death Will Be Swallowed Up For All Time, and I can imagine some of the responses. Some of you might be saying, Amen. That's exactly what I believe. Some of you may be saying this morning, I hope so. I hope that's going to happen. And some of you may be very skeptical, and you might say, I don't think so. And you know what? If you're in any of those categories, we would certainly understand that because this is a tough world. And when I preached that 2019 message called Believe, and many of you were here for that, I had no idea what was coming to this world. I had no idea that the next spring in 2020, I would preach to an empty uh, sanctuary. I was right up here. There was a few uh, tech people here and that was it. It was one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had. I preached Good Friday from Shane's living room. Some of you remember this. We moved the cameras over to Shane's living room. Cars were going (laughs) by in the background. And I was preaching a Good Friday message. It was such a strange time. And the world has reeled through that. And now we have a war. And the war in Ukraine has brought uncertainty and death and suffering. And people have talked about us being on the verge of potentially a World War III. And there's a lot of fearful and nervous people. And I think that that's kind of how this world is. Augustine, who uh, was an early church father, many of you know that name, saw the fall of Rome in AD 410. It was sacked by the Goths. And someone like Augustine never could have imagined You know, the the Roman Empire was such a dominant power for 500 years. It would be hard to imagine the Roman Empire ever falling, but it literally crumbled from within, and finally it was sacked by the Goths. And Augustine, reeling from that reality, wrote a book called The City of God. Some of you are familiar with this. And he basically said this. He broke the world down into two categories. Basically, the city of man and the city of God. He said that the world is dominated by two loves. You either love God and you're part of his city, and he kind of used the image of a city to paint the picture, or you love the world and you belong to the city of man, the, the group of people that try to do life without God. They eliminate God from the equation for all intents and purposes. And so as Augustine wrote this, he was trying to make sense of his world Much in the same way that many people are trying to make sense of our world. And here's the deal. We live in a fallen world. We all know that. It's a broken place. And here's the one thing that we all know. We have to face this death question. And the question that we all have is, is there an answer to it? None of us are interested in -in pie-in-the-sky fairy tales. We want to know if there's bedrock evidence for the hope of a day when death will have its own funeral, when the grim reaper will have his funeral, when death will die. Now, I just read you a passage from an Old Testament prophecy written 700 years before Jesus ever lived, that death one day will die, and it will die for all time. Now, some of you may say, well, how can we know such a thing? Well, we know such a thing because Jesus Christ, the Prince of Life, rose from the dead, and he rose from the dead in the very history in which we live, it's an undeniable fact. By interviewing the documents, we have major sources, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we have Paul's testimony, we have the testimony of James, uh, seeing the resurrected Christ. And Jesus, the Bible teaches, is the first fruits of the resurrection. This is 1 Corinthians 15 and basically teaches this. The first fruits is the first offering and so when the first fruits is offered, basically it guarantees the rest of the harvest. Jesus' resurrection means we, his people, are going to follow in his train. He said, because I live, you will live also. And our bodies, our resurrection bodies, are going to be like unto our Lord. And 1 John even says we're going to see him as he is. And the way the Bible paints our future is in banquet imagery. So uh, Jesus, on the night that he instituted what we call the Last Supper, he told his uh, apostles, I, I've longed to eat this uh, Seder Passover with you, and I will not eat of it or partake of it again until I do it with you, remember, in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus was looking forward to a future Passover, if you will, where we will all have a seat at the banquet table and we will be rejoicing. And it will be much in the same way that I described that Jewish Seder to you with dancing and celebration and honoring of the Lord. And it will be a hundred million times better than the best potluck you've ever been to, the best Seder you've ever been to. And it's gonna include choice pizza, pieces of meat, praise God, and even aged wine some of you are going to have to wrestle with that one, but I will tell you, last night at the Seder, optional grape juice or real wine was on the table. And they were celebrating the Lord. And today, we have a text before us that's all about this coming celebration. picking up the imagery that was captured in Augustine's thoughts. Look at verse one, "O Lord, you are my God." I will exalt you. Uh, Scholars would say this is like a pilgrim poem or song. It imagines or pictures the pilgrims heading towards the holy mountain to honor God. I will give thanks to your name for you have worked wonders. That's a single Hebrew word that means you're a miracle working God. It's the miraculous. Plans formed long ago. How has God done it? With perfect faithfulness. Now the Lord has had a plan all along. He's eternal. He's omniscient. And he knew what he was going to do with the world when he made it. He knew what he was going to do with the nation that he chose. He knew that we were going to fall because he can't learn anything. He knew the provision he would make for our fall. He knew how he would choose the nation of Israel, how he would bring forth the church, how the Messiah would come into the world. And he even knew that you were going to be part of his kingdom. And right now, as Moreland writes his book on miracles, he says that the church is exploding in our world. I don't know if you knew this, because we look at everything through Western eyes. But the church is exploding in China, in the Middle East. The Lord is on the move. And they're giving reports, missionaries are giving reports that thousands and thousands of people in droves are coming to Jesus Christ. In fact, Christians outnumber communists in China. The church is largely underground, but this is actually what's going on. And we look at America right now, and we all have questions, right? I think most of us who look at the American church right now know we need a wake-up call. We know that we need to start praying that God would move again in our nation, that he would do signs and wonders. And I will tell you that the reports coming from these great moves of God are that signs and wonders are what's bringing people to the Lord. People are seeing miracles and then they're being drawn to the gospel and then the gospel is being conveyed to them and they're getting saved. Now that's not the only way it happens, but we know in the book of Acts that, that was largely what did occur and that is happening even today. You say, well, what's the proof? How do we know that God is doing miracles today? Uh, One of the most radical ministries that exists in the Christian world right now is the Jesus Film Project. They go into unreached areas that are extremely dangerous, places that are closed to the gospel, places that make it basically illegal to even share the gospel. They go to some of these places, and here's one story. In the state of Bihar, India, there is a notoriously anti-Christian tribe called the Malto. When a crew with Campus Crusades Jesus Film attempted to schedule a showing there, and this is a record from Paul Eshelman, former director of the Jesus Film Project. A few days later, so they went, they went into this uh, village and they were strongly rebuffed. So basically they said, get out of here. We don't want you to play this movie. A few days later, a 16-year-old Malto girl died. But that evening, just as her parents were about to bury her, she came back to life. As an odd crowd gathered around her, she told them that the God of the film crew had sent her back for several days to tell as many people as I can that he is real. The girl and her mother went searching, and the next day they found the crew in a nearby village and invited them back for a showing. For seven days, she told her story in every village they could get to, drawing large crowds for the film. Hundreds of people became Christians and started churches. After seven days, the girl still looked fine, but she collapsed and died once again. And what did she tell the people? I've got several days to tell you that the God of this film crew is real. She goes around, raises from the dead, modern day miracle, goes around telling people what happened and then drops dead again seven days later this is our God. And this happened in 1998. Our God is still moving. Now, when Jesus was on the earth, he raised several people from the dead. You guys remember the little girl, the 12-year-old girl that had died, and he raised her? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, one of his amazing, incredible miracles. Some of you may not remember this, but he was in a city called Nain, N-A-I-N, and a coffin was passing by, a processional, and the mom was a widow, and she had lost her only son. And as the coffin passed, Jesus just touched the coffin, and the dead man got up again. Wee Yeah, it's true. Radical power. And of course, Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead as well. Something that he guaranteed would happen, and he did it. And there are some stories coming, especially from the mission field, of resurrections or people being resuscitated, if you will. Not a final resurrection, but they're coming back to life. And this is one of many miracle accounts that are occurring out in the mission field. Now, you can belong to the city of man, and the city of man is skeptical, and they say, oh, that doesn't happen. I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. There is no God. And they live in the natural world. That's all they're open to. Or you can open your heart to God because the evidence is there for anyone who will simply believe. Look at verse two. You have made a city into a heap. Now this is the city of man. God is judging. Seven times in Isaiah 24 through 27, it says in that day, looking to the future. And we know it's the future by the verses about death dying. You have made a city into a heap. That's the city of man. A fortified city into a ruin a palace of strangers, a city no more. It's kind of like the whole world now has been condensed to a city, almost like Babel, when they tried to build that tower and reach up to the heavens. And it says of that city, it will never be rebuilt. Therefore, verse 3, a strong people will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations, all kind of converging into this one city of man, will revere you. Now, scholars don't know if the meaning of this verse is that they have a turnaround, like they repent when judgment comes, or if they're doing what Philippians 2.10 says. We just learned it, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But we don't know if that means they're going to be converted or they're simply going to have to bow to the reality of the one true God. We know that the dead in Revelation, small and great, will stand before the Lord and the books will be open and there will be the book of life. And if you're not in the book of life, you are in trouble. So all people will stand before the Lord. And what's amazing about it is that the ultimate judge on that day is Jesus. All judgment has been given to the Son. So it would be really good if you and I know the judge. And the amazing thing about this judge is that he came down to take our judgment. The judge who would judge us took the judgment at the cross. This is the great news of the gospel. And while the city of man is going to be dealt, obviously, a death blow, this is what God has been to his people. Look at verse four. You have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm. Think of all the storms of life. A shade from the heat for the breath of the ruthless. That's the second time we've seen the ruthless is like rain, a rainstorm against a wall. Sometimes people are just ruthless. There's bullies. There's people who are just—they'll do anything to get ahead. They don't care who they have to sacrifice. There, I, I prayed for a family at the end of this uh, first service this morning, and a little one's going through a tough time with bullying. The world can be a ruthless place, and when we get older, it doesn't really change much. It manifests itself in different ways. It could be in business. It can be in war. People seem to be ruthless, and and the the picture is like a storm that just beats against the wall of our life, and sometimes we just want to, honestly, I I do, I want to throw up my hands and say, Lord, I'm done. I can't take anymore, and this is where it says of our God what he is to us. He's a defense because I often feel helpless, verse four. He's a defense because I am so needy and distressed oftentimes he's a refuge from the storm. He'll protect us. He's a shade from the heat because we have that storm that beats against us. JP uh, in his book is writing about, he would go to this camp. It was college students who uh, during a summer program would learn more about their faith and try to get bolstered in their faith. It was in a different state. And JP would speak there annually or every other year He'd come out with a book with some of this kind of material, and the students were asked to read the book before JP arrived to lecture, and they wrote a report on it. So some of them were kind of amped up and a little antsy about meeting the author of the book that they had just read. So they read the book, JP arrived, he did a couple days of lecturing, and a a young lady, a college-age student who was born without a hand, uh, was part of the school, She was known as a very faithful, vibrant uh, leader. And she said that as she read the book and was called to do a report, and then JP lectured, she just had some aching doubts about the content. Like, is this really true? So there was a guy named David who was a peer of hers. And David had been born with basically blindness in one of his eyes. He was legally blind in one eye. He could see a little bit out of that eye, basically just shadows. He couldn't see color or anything. And so he wore glasses and he could see out of the other eye. And uh, she decided, I'm just going to start praying for David and see if this is real. She told nobody about what she was doing. She was in her dorm room and she began to pray for David's eye to be healed. If you're real, if this is true, heal his eye. So David was in his room and he was reading a book and he did what a lot of us do. He took off his glasses, he rubbed, his eyes were kind of tired and he set his glasses down and he looked up at a chalkboard that was in the room and he could see all the colors, all these colored markers. And so he kind of did a, a double take and he rubbed his eyes and he could still see them. So he covered his good eye and he could still clearly see the markers and the different colors. And he was like, Glasses are off to the side, I can see. So he told a roommate, I can see, and they were testing him and everything. Can you see this? Can you see that? How many fingers? <laughs> and and all of a sudden, David had been healed. So the group was going to assemble for some sort of meeting. And one of David's friends, they were, they were going to tell the group, but he couldn't wait. And he started telling them, David is healed. David is healed. Well, the girl that had prayed for David made her way uh, a minute or two into the meeting, saw the hubbub, and asked what's going on. David's eye has been healed. And she, she fled out of the room and broke down weeping and basically repented before the Lord and said, Lord, you, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. She goes back in and tells the other students that she made a commitment, a secret commitment to God to pray for David's healing. And David was healed. A conversation has been had with both of these individuals verifying the story. It has been verified by multiple others. Our God is a healer. Now, I know in looking into a group like this that I've prayed with many of you, and we've had to say goodbye to loved ones, and we've prayed for healing, and the healing hasn't always happened. And I can't tell you why that occurs, and I don't know what the percentages are. It's all under God's sovereignty. That's what I do know. And I will qualify what I'm saying to you by telling you that we need to. Uh, there's a blessing of medicine, and we, we pray, but we also are wise about the way we conduct ourselves. But wouldn't you all agree this morning that one of the problems in the Western church today is that I'm not even sure that we're praying for healing. I'm not sure that we're even stepping out or maybe we've prayed a few times and we've given up. But our God wants to do mighty things. And sometimes he does them to catch somebody's uh, attention to believe the gospel. Sometimes he does them out of compassion. He's God, I'm not. If he heals someone and I've seen him heal people uh, through the laying on of hands, that's, that's his business. But we need to understand that God still wants to move. And apparently there's people in other countries that are more open than us. I don't know what it is. Uh, one missionary told a theologian here in the States, you guys have 911. And that's one of the first things that you do. And it's not that that's wrong. It's a blessing to have what we have. But perhaps... You know, we've lost some faith in the God of miracles. See, in order for us to believe in a God who says the resurrection is the capstone in the arch of Christianity, it's the core of what we believe. We are a resurrection people. We are looking forward to a banquet when God says death will die. That should bring such hope to us. Yet I fear looking at your faces that we're not filled with hope that we largely walk around like the world does in despair, and that should not be the case. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to deal with your emotions. It doesn't mean we don't have a spiritual enemy who's going about like a roaring lion. It's not that we don't get beat by the waves and the wind and the storm of this world. We all do. We know we're human. We're not trying to be superheroes here. But what we are saying is, Lord, would you renew our faith and baptize us afresh with boldness in believing what you said is going to come to pass? Amen? Amen. This is what the Bible is teaching us. And the Lord, we begin to hear this story about this banquet that's coming. Look at it. The Lord of hosts, that's the commander of the armies of the Lord, verse 6. And just so we round it out, uh, the song of the ruthless will be silenced one day. Um, God's going to deal with them. He's going to judge them. There will be a day when their music dies. Some of you remember that uh, that song. But notice the banquet. The Lord of hosts, the commander of the armies of the Lord, will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples, Jew and Gentile, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people on this mountain that speaks of the New Jerusalem. It's a banquet of aged wine. It's choice pieces of meat. And all God's people said, oh, that was weak. (laughs) Uh, The Hebrew has the idea of pizza here. Just kidding. (laughs) Notice the repetition. Refined, aged wine. Just in case you missed it, this is not going to be a Baptist wedding Sorry if you're Baptist, where people stand in the corner and have fruit punch. You got to go back to the... <laughs> yeah, come on now. This is what the Bible is saying. A party is coming, and it's going to be the best spread you could ever imagine. It's going to be a table with incredible selections, You could choose tri-tip, salmon, whatever you want to choose. And on this mountain, at this, what might be the marriage supper of the Lamb from Revelation 19, what's God going to do? He's going to swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the shroud which stretched over all nations. At this, apparently at this banquet, we will celebrate the Lord of life, and the death of death. He will swallow up death. What's your Bible say? For all time. Death will be no more forever. Praise the Lord. Death will not make a reappearance. Death will die and Eden will be restored. I was in a class teaching fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. Had a little young man. I think his name was Sergio. And uh, I said, yeah, uh, in the reign of Christ in the future, uh, it's going to be like Eden is restored. We're back to Eden and all the beauties of that. And he raises up his hand. He goes, I just got one question, Pastor Michael. Are we going to be naked? (laughs) And I was like, Sergio, I certainly hope not. And the Bible paints this picture of the tree of life and no more shame, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more cancer, no more war. But get this apparently, at this great feast, maybe a future Passover, the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. It appears that the Bible is saying that the Lord's gonna go to each and every person, and I don't know how he's gonna do it, but he's God, and individually wipe tears from every single one of our faces. And you guys know that Revelation 21 teaches that, that this is what the Lord is going to do. He's going to literally take our tears if you will, into his hands. He's going to deal the death blow to the things that have troubled us all of our lives. And some of you, and, and I can feel you saying, could it really be? Is there going to be a day with a banquet like this and a time when we will celebrate the Lord and see his face and celebrate the death of death? Oh yeah, read your Bible. For the Lord has spoken. Amen? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Take it to the bank. It's impossible for him to lie. He is the great God, the helper of the needy, of the broken. I came across a story of a a lady named Paralyzed Anna. She lived in a country quite hostile to the gospel. Anna couldn't walk. She'd been bedridden for three years. When Anna was told a team of people was coming to her village to show a film in her language, she wanted very much to go. So Anna's friends lifted her into a wooden cart and wheeled her to where the film team was setting up the screen and the projector. Lying on her bed of wood, Anna became transfixed by all she saw and heard. She watched Jesus perform miracles in the film, give sight to the blind, heal diseases, speak with love and divine authority. She was so intrigued. It was then that Anna began to sense something strange, a sensation moving through her disabled body. Anna cried out to Jesus and said, if you're God, heal me. The film continued. It ended with an invitation. The church planting film team stayed to answer questions, pray for a few believers. It was a restricted area where people are fearful of reprisals. And they set up uh, for a follow-up. Everyone went back to their homes. As they were walking, there was the wooden cart. But where was Anna? Everyone was stunned. She was in the departing crowd, but walking. The team went with Anna to her home and again explained the gospel. In restricted nations, it can take multiple exposures to break through misconceptions and spiritual darkness. Anna believed. Upon witnessing the great miracle, her husband also became a follower of Jesus and gave up his liquor business in the community. Anna began to share her testimony with family and friends, proclaiming all that God had done for her. A pastor who learned of her story decided he would use the Jesus film in their area. At last count through the film, as well as the testimony of formerly paralyzed Anna, 5,000 people have been baptized with 70 churches planted where there had never been a church before in a restricted area of the world. Our God... Is a God of miracles. Amen? Amen. And this is going to happen. And I would just ask you, which city do you belong to? Now, I'd like to leave you with the good news, but there is some bad news. At this banquet, as the people of God rejoice, and it will be said in that day, we'll be saying to one another, Look, look at verse 9. This is our God. I don't think we'll be able to take our eyes off Jesus. Can you imagine? This is our God. Look, there he is for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. I don't know. I don't think I'll be able to move my eyes off of him for half of eternity. There he is. I'll be saying to my buddies, look. To my wife, look. There he is. I'll say it to Moses, look. To John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God. He's the one that said it. Say it back to him. And we'll be in awe. But notice the contrast. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. And Moab, an ancient enemy of Israel, kind of like pictured as a person or people of pride and rebellion, will be trodden down in his place as straw is trodden down in the water market of a manure pile. Now, from this great banquet to a pile of manure. How many of you remember Biff in Back to the Future? (laughs) McFly, 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 big bully. Yeah, Yeah, we could say other things about Biff, but you know Biff, right? Do you remember when Biff is chasing Marty, Michael J. Fox? and he's on the skateboard, and he's kind of trying to dodge them, and their car hits the back of that manure truck. You remember that? And the manure comes down on Biff, the bully, and his buddies, and Biff is spitting manure out of his mouth. Biff is Moab. Just a modern day image. Pride and rebellion. I'm going to try to stumble the people of God. That's what the Moabites did. They tried, even though Ruth was a Moabitess, you all know that story. But basically, they're as the people of God are parting, here's the city of man, finding themselves in a manure pile. And here's what they say. He says, I'll spread out my hands. He will spread out his hands in the middle of it as a swimmer spreads out his hands. So he's in the manure pile trying to swim, almost like Samson. I'll get myself out of this one again. But the Lord will lay his pride together with the trickery of his hands the unassailable fortifications of your walls he will bring down and lay low lay low and cast to the ground notice even to the dust in the very next chapter if you just kind of move your eyes to the next chapter it gives a contrast between the believer and unbeliever and here's what it says it says the dead 2614 of isaiah will not live the departed spirits will not rise Therefore you have punished and destroyed them. That's the city of man in that manure pile, if you will. And you have wiped out all remembrance of them. But now skip down to verse 17. As the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she rise and cries out in her labor pains. Thus we, were we before you, O oh Lord. We, the picture of a tough time, labor pains, which Jesus talked about in the end times. We were pregnant. We writhed in labor. We gave birth, as it seems, only to wind. We could not accomplish deliverance for the earth. There is no self-salvation. Jesus is the way. Nor were inhabitants of the world born. But then, notice, your dead, in contrast to the unrighteous, will live. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn And the earth will what? It will give birth to the departed spirits. There in the Old Testament is the resurrection. We are going to rise. The Old Testament, the New Testament, Jesus teaches it. And the question that we ask is, well, what do we do in the meantime? We live in this world, right? We're looking forward, but what do we do? Look at 26, one through four. In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah we have a strong city he sets up walls and ramparts for security open the gates here's the pilgrims heading towards Zion that the righteous nation may enter the one that remains faithful the steadfast mind you will keep in perfect peace you will keep him in perfect peace shalom shalom whose mind is stayed on you Isaiah 26:3 because he what he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in, the, in God the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. Yes, it's true. Faith is a battle. We need a shield of faith. We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ every day. We need to stay in our Bibles. We need to keep worship music on. We need to read edifying books that edify our faith, because this world will pull you down. The media industry is an avalanche of a worldview, pulling many people away from the faith. People deconstructing their faith left and right, walking away, saying, I don't believe that anymore. Sad. The enemy is on the prowl, brethren, and we need the full armor of God. Now, I want you to go back to that scene in the manure pile just for a second, and I'll tell you a final story, and if the worship team can hear my voice, you guys can come on up. This is uh, an account also in the book, and here's what it says. Hormoz Shariat, nicknamed the Billy Graham of Iran, was born into a Muslim family in Iran, came to the United States in 1979 after the Islamic Revolution. He received a PhD from USC and became a Christian during his graduate studies. In 2001, he founded Iran Alive Ministries, which utilizes satellite television to reach millions of Muslims in Iran and the Middle East. His daily live program continues to this day. It has a seven to nine million daily viewers in Iran, which represents about 10% of the population. During the program, Hormoz receives live call-ins and answers questions. Many of the calls are hateful, and in 2002, a woman he calls Dinah called the show for the first time and announced these words. You Christians are all going to hell. She thought Christianity was a fairy tale and was an extremely committed radical Muslim. She was a ranking official in Iran's female secret police, embraced strict Sharia law, hunted down and tortured women who violated Sharia. Even those who let as much as a single strand of hair slip out from under their hijab Sharia violators received up to 80 lashes, along with beatings. Dinah especially loved capturing Christians, imprisoning them, and watching them be tortured. Dinah regularly called her Moses show con- to condemn his program and express her hatred for Christians. However, Dinah was a single woman living with her dying, cancer-invaded, bedridden mother. One night, Dinah was filled with emptiness, hopelessness, After observing the corruption of some Muslim leaders, she made a dramatic announcement on the live TV program. She said, quote, "'We're going to commit suicide right now "'on your television program.'" This was no idle threat. Hermoz responded, "'Since you're going to kill yourself anyway, "'why don't you give Jesus a week? "'If he doesn't answer a single prayer for you "'or do anything in those seven days, "'then you go ahead and kill yourself. "'That's what you were going to do anyway. "'You have nothing to lose.'" but I'm sure you're afraid to try this, aren't you, Dinah? Dinah retorted, I'm not afraid of anything you dare me to do. The Christian God is a false God. He is incapable of giving me anything I pray for because he's not there. Only Allah can answer prayers. Hormoz chuckled, I knew you were afraid. Irritated, Dinah shot back. Okay then, I know you're just playing with me, but I accept your foolish challenge. What do I do for a week? Whatever it is will be a waste of my time. I'll wait a week, then come back and kill myself on your program. If you are brave enough to take my next call. Hermos agreed on one condition. Dinah was to pray daily and ask Jesus to be her savior. Dinah laughed at the suggestion, but agreed to do it out of spite. Early in the morning on the fifth day, Dinah was in her room when she heard footsteps. She feared it was an intruder. After all, it couldn't be her mother because she couldn't walk. She was bedridden. Her mother's agony had been unbearable for months. Yet suddenly, her mother peeked through the door with a peaceful smile on her face and said, It's just me, Dinah. Shocked, Dinah asked how she had gotten out of bed. Her mother responded, Dinah, last night after you turned off my light, I thought, well, I will die tonight. It frightened me. So I wondered which imam I should pray to one last time. Then I saw his face. Right there in my room, Dinah asked, Which one was it, mother? Dinah, her mother, replied, It wasn't an imam. It was Jesus. Dinah was appalled and grateful at the same time. Her mother continued, I woke up a few minutes ago and realized I felt no pain. Not even a little. It's all gone. Not only that, I could move comfortably and felt so peaceful that I decided to try and stand up. Dinah, I could walk. I could hardly say it, but I feel well again. Dinah melted in tears. She told no one, not even her mother, about the prayer. And later on, when Hormoz saw Dinah's name appear on the screen as the next caller on his TV program, his eyes widened, having no idea what had occurred during that week. Once her call was accepted on live television, Dinah shared this. Hormoz, last week I repeated the words you told me to say, but I didn't take them seriously but God did. Tonight, my mother's with me again. She's standing here beside me. I didn't want Jesus to be the answer. As for my mother, she's well, and so am I. Hormoz, Jesus is everything that you promised. Wow. Now, Dinah's mother remains healed to this day, and Dinah resigned inconspicuously from the morality police. As of this writing, 2020, along with her husband, another Muslim convert to Christianity. She has been a radical disciple who discreetly shares the gospel. On May 16, 2020, this writer, J.P. Moreland, says, I had a phone conversation with Hormoz Shariat, the host of the TV program. He said that Dinah has the spirit of a general, that she and her husband have planted hundreds of churches in many cities of Iran, and that they lead the largest network of underground churches. In the country. Wow. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Voice of the Martyrs Radio has interviewed, uh, has had an interview with Dinah herself about her story. This can be found online, and there's a two-hour film about her story titled Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2, where the story is told in further detail. Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus Christ and we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. We've read the verse that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forgive us, Lord, for not always believing it. As the Father in Mark 9, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Would you heal our us of our backslidings and unbelief today, Lord, and For anyone who's here who doesn't know you, may the power of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ be the transforming power that goes out and changes their lives. These miracle stories are phenomenal, but we're all still gonna die. Even if we get healed, Lord, we've got to know the one that saves the soul, that heals the soul, the one who says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thank you for making a way with your heart bowed. If you don't know Jesus, this is your time. Resurrection Sunday, 2022, make it official. Something like this, Jesus, save me. I believe who you are. I believe what the Bible says about you. I believe that you came into this world on a rescue mission. Pray it if it's you. I believe that you lived a perfect life, died on that terrible cross for my sin and rose to defeat death. Be my king. Be my Lord. Be my savior. Be my God. Teach me to follow you all the days of my life. Teach me to be an ambassador of hope. Teach me what it means to walk with you and show others that there is a hope beyond this life.